Sorry, all right. I made I made some notes for the five things, and I just realized I wanted to have it pulled up in case I need to reference it. Then I oh, just yeah, threw for my- sure. <laughs> i've done that before too and like i move my arm and just like yank my headphones out and yeah. like knock the computer over or something so for sure okay sorry let's uh... all right start number two yeah <laughs> Welcome back to Growing Up Punk, the podcast about punk rock and all of its friends. My name is David. My friend is Aaron. And actually, on this episode, he had the opportunity to chat with another Aaron, Aaron Brooks uh, of the band The Ghost Inside, or formerly of the band The Ghost Inside, and currently of the band Foreign Pain, who just released a brand new record uh, a couple of weeks ago. So they will chat about that. Uh, It's an absolute banger of a record. If you haven't listened to it yet and you're a fan of hardcore, you should probably get on that one. That's the new one from Foreign Pain. Uh, But the the bulk of this interview is Aaron chatting with Aaron about uh, his five favorite Ghost Inside songs. So that'll be a lot of fun. Before we get into that, make sure you go follow us on our social medias at Growing Punk Pod. You got us on Twitter, on Instagram there. Uh, You can find uh, all of our links there as well to uh, wherever you want to listen to the show. Wherever you're listening to it right now, if you're like, this isn't where I normally listen to, uh, you can find us wherever you find podcasts, all that good stuff. But uh, yeah, go follow us at Growing Punk Pod on Twitter and Instagram. Our personal Twitters and Instagrams are there as well. But let's not waste any more time. Let's have a banging good time. It's Aaron chatting with Aaron Brooks of Foreign Pain and X the Ghost Inside about his five favorite Ghost Inside songs. Yeah, what was the first punk hardcore album that really impacted you as well as the first uh, show that impacted you? First album. Um, For punk, I would say a compilation, kind of an obscure one. It's called Cinema Beer Nuts. Oh, yeah, of course. Yep. And um, it was the first time I heard Mill and Colin. It was the first time I heard... I think Bad Religion was on it. Uh, AFI was on it. Uh, Strife was on it, yep. which at the time I didn't even know that hardcore existed. And I remember being like probably 13 or 14 and like being like, oh, what is that track? And then, you know, fast forward two or three later years later, I was covering that song in a band. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, that uh, that compilation, I, I was riding a lot of BMX at the time. And um, one of the guys that I rode with, was I knew that he had like listened to punk stuff because I was I was more I started more with like the new metal stuff like Corn and System of a Down and Slipknot stuff like that and he uh, he had listened to some punk stuff and he we were at his house and he had ha- was playing that CD I was like what is this like every band on here is awesome and it was that compilation Cinema Beer Nuts yeah yeah that, that's funny I mean yeah I know comps were huge for you know guys our age and usually it's not the most impactful thing but yeah that's cool yeah i mean yeah when you're discovering new bands and you know it's opening up and that's funny you mentioned kind of the you know discovering strife and kind of you know maybe it was like too heavy or something because it was the same for me you know i'd get a comp and i can remember a few where there was something heavy on it and i almost like kind of made fun of it because i just had no no reference for it right like in the you know mid to late 90s like 
you didn't really have much, or at least for me, I grew up in a small rural town. Like we didn't have shows, we didn't have a music store, and so you kind of, you know, access music you're finding, and it's like, man, what is this? But it's then as there was a couple albums that I remember the first time hearing the band. I was like, oh, this is too much for me. And then again, fast forward a couple years later, and it was like one of my favorite records. Yeah. It yeah. was it, it's kind of weird how that works out. <laughs> well, you just kind of get more used to it. Or you you know, yeah. you kind of realize, oh, okay, this is, you know, kind of like punk, but it's just, you know, a little bit different. And you I just, think you just got to work your way in. Because if you had never heard anything of screaming, like full on screaming vocals, like, you got to warm up to it a little bit, I think. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, and what about uh, for uh, a show? Um, the first punk shows that I attended, it's kind of weird, were the first shows that I ever played. Oh, wow. So um, I my kind of navigation into the world of punk and, like, you know, hardcore and stuff like that, uh, I lived in a small town in Arizona – and that's where the whole punk thing started for me. But I was like, you know, super into smoking pot and just partying, you know, and stuff like that. And when I was 16, I just got in a ton of trouble. And my mom shipped me off to live with my grandpa in another town, like three hours away. And um, there I was, you know, just, you know, grounded forever, just in trouble. But my grandpa was a musician. The first thing he let me do was... Uh, play music with some friends that I had met at school and that group of friends that I made were already had already, uh, you know, graduated from punk to hardcore. So that was the first time I had heard really any of that. And I immediately started playing in bands there as soon as I was allowed to. And so within, you know, a month or two of us writing songs in a garage, like we booked and went to a show like and played it. Yeah. So wow. Those were some of the first like punk shows, but as far as the first ones that I can recall, going to that had a lot of impact um in 2002 we actually booked comeback kid on their first ever u.s tour in a oh. roller skating rink nice <laughs> and uh that was you know we again just like you from a very small town like that was a big deal that there was a touring band of any size going there i mean let alone a band of that caliber um yeah, that, that's the, one of the earliest ones I can remember other than the ones that we had played locally that shows that were just like local shows. Yeah. So that yeah was no, that's awesome. Comeback Kids from not not too far away. Well, they're from the same – or started at least in the same province that I grew up in. So yeah, I've uh, yeah known about those guys. I Actually, I knew their, their bass, their first bass player played in a punk band before Comeback Kid that I had – I'm gone to see, and so yeah, I've kind of been been there since the beginning of that band. And they're still uh -huh. still one of my all time favorite bands. Same. I mean, I, I've they haven't put out a bad record. <laughs> yeah. Well, I just it looks like they're supposed to be releasing a new song tomorrow from from their upcoming album. So super cool. stoked on I'll, that. I'll be looking out for that for sure. Yeah. So when you played that first show, like, how did you even know like what to do or how to act and? That's well, such a weird concept of your first show is kind of playing it. Yeah, it, it was kind of crazy. Um, 
the town that I ended up moving to was just one of those special small towns that had like a really booming local scene. And there was a skate park that just did shows. And uh, the town was small enough that if there was anything going on, like everybody was going. So every weekend there's a local show and there's like anywhere from a hundred to 200 people showing up. So, I mean, my first show I played to like probably a hundred people, which is kind of crazy to think looking back, but I was also, I started out as a drummer. So my first show was on drums. So, I mean, as far as like performing, I was really nervous, but you know, I'm just sitting behind a drum kit, which is the same thing I do at practice. I didn't have to worry about, you know, performing if, if that's what you want to call it. Yeah. yeah. My career started on drums. Okay. Oh, that's awesome. I'm I'm a drummer as well. I've got my drum kit on the other side of the camera here. So nice. Yeah. Oh, that's that's yeah, that's a really neat experience and I guess probably just immersed you in that much quicker, right? Because for most people they kinda of go to shows and they start dreaming of what it might be like to play in a band and you know, it takes a few years to find people to start a band and and that whole thing. So it's kinda of cool you just skipped all that. Yeah, it was awesome. But I just, I just assumed that's just the way that it was. Cause that was my only, that was my first and only exposure at the time. So fast forward to like two or three years later, we started trying to go play regionally in other places. Um, that's when I found out that it's not like that everywhere else. And, you know, if you go to some small town with no scene, you're lucky if anybody shows up. So, right. Yeah. I, I, the, the bar was set very high in my first like year of playing shows. Yeah, no, that's sweet. Yeah, so this uh, this episode's going to be a bit uh, different than usual. You know, today we're going to be talking about two different bands that you were slash are in. So uh, first of all, we're going to discuss uh, the Ghost Inside, with whom you played for a number of years, and then we'll uh, talk about your new and current band, Foreign Pain, who just released an awesome new album uh, just this last Friday. Uh, so let's get into uh, some of these Ghost Inside songs. So starting with the album Fury and the Fallen Ones, which was released on April fifteenth, two thousand eight. Uh, I still remember coming across this album. I can't remember where it was, but I bought it immediately, and I loved the energy and the speed, the melody and heaviness that this album brought. It was just kind of something unique. Like there were bands like Comeback Kid, but Ghost Inside, you know, you know, had more breakdowns than than a band like Comeback Kid, and yeah, it just kind of stood out, which I which I thought was awesome. What do you remember about the creative process that went into this album? So the band. The, the original iteration of the ghost inside was a band called a dying dream that I was not original in. I joined that band as the drummer okay. and we toured for about a year. Um, we put out a EP on the same label that the first two ghost inside records came out on. And um, both the guitar players just, you know, the, things fizzle out. Sometimes people just don't want to do that full time. And so both the guitar players kind of went their separate ways. And I was the only one really left in the band that was going to do any writing at all. So, you know, I, I was fine, happy to do it, but once we had written an entire album, I kind of just went to the band. I was like, Hey, like if, you know, we're writing all of this stuff, I don't really want to just teach it to two random people and then, you know, get back behind the drums and hope it goes. Okay. I yeah. want to play these songs. Like I wrote these songs. So, um, me and the original guitar player of ghost inside wrote that album. And then my, friend from back in Arizona, um, Casey who's the original drummer of ghost inside. We, we grabbed him out of Arizona, I think the day after he graduated high school. And, um, he did the last, he wrote, the, he wrote on the last few songs with us and we just went straight into the studio. We recorded that whole record, including mixing in like six days. It was pretty crazy. Wow. 
Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's it's a great sounding album, like especially for kind of your first full length. Like, yeah, we went to uh, Zach Oren up at Castle oh, yeah. Studios in NorCal. Um, it was a cool experience. It was very much like there was no. like producing anything there was no anything like we went in the songs were done and we just tracked all day long for like five days straight and then he like mixed it the last day and that was it so i mean thankfully he's good so i mean you know the end result was something we were stoked on how it came out but yeah i mean writing that record we wrote over the course of a couple months just your your real typical just you know get in the practice spot and kind of jam it out but um between me and the other guitar player, we just had so many different influences of stuff that we liked because he was also from a small town um, in Florida before he had moved out and was in our band. And as you, you know, as you're saying from a small town, I'm sure you would agree that you're when you, when you, there's something special about being from a small area that like, you don't care about what's cool as much, as much as just like, if you have access to it, like you're going to pay attention yeah because only so many things come through. So I feel like you grow more of an appreciation for music when you have to work for it. Definitely. Um, And I, I saw that a lot when I moved to California to first join up with that band, it was just like, you know, it was so much about, different you know clicks of people based on what they liked and the niche genres and all that stuff and i just that never really occurred to me so when we were writing the first record we liked so much different stuff we weren't going to pick and choose it was just if we liked it it was going in the song yeah which i think aids in an album standing out when it's not just kind of the same sound you know throughout or whatever and yeah you know sometimes it, it makes it a little bit choppy just depending you know that's where the kind of craft of songwriting comes in, you know, where it's, can you kind of, you know, separate it enough or have transitions that work? And, yep. you know, I mean, yeah, you get bands like a date or a member where, you know, it can be just, you know, one to the next and yep. it works and, and sometimes it kind of feels forced. So yeah, that's, that's really cool that you can piece that all together. Were yep. you guys touring full time kind of already on this or were things just kind of going seeing where you know this would take um, you? Yeah, we we did something which at the time is just because we just wanted to do it, which is crazy to think about. We toured for an entire year before the first Ghost Inside record came out. Wow. But granted, the touring was as what you would expect. It was like, you know, two or three canceled shows a week. And yeah, the ones that didn't get canceled, there's like 10 people there. But we did it. I mean, we did two, I think two or three full U.S. tours in a year before we all we had was a couple songs on MySpace. Yeah. So how did you get those shows booked if you didn't really have anything to go on? Um, We had done one or two tours with the band before and like got our, we kind of like got our uh, foot in the door with like a really mediocre booking agency. I don't even remember what it was called, but like they offered, you know, they at least agreed to help us try to book some shows, but they didn't answer the phone after the tour started kind of situation. (laughs) (laughs) So like we, we, we were at least getting somebody that could make a phone call to a venue to try to set something up. We were kind of on our own from there. Right. um, Yeah, we did that. We grinded on that for a year with two songs, maybe three songs released. And the people that were at, there wasn't very many people at the shows, but the people were there were like, stoked on it they either had heard a couple songs and were excited to see us play or saw us for the first time and you know, came back after so mm. yeah it was a while before we were able to get like a proper booking agent <laughs> yeah 
Yeah, well, let's talk about uh, a couple of songs that you picked from this album. So the first one is called The Brave. Does this song uh, stand out to you or what's the meaning behind this one? So first of all, it is 
the first Ghost Inside song, but its history before that is uh, stems from even before I ever joined the band. So I was playing in some bands in Arizona and um, around the time that I had kind of first started, I was playing guitar in some bands as I was learning guitar. So I'm pretty average, but um, the, the Brave is it's the first full song start to finish I ever wrote by myself just in my bedroom and it wasn't for a band or anything I just wrote it and uh, like six months later is when the guys um, from A Dying Dream hit me up to go play on their record because their drummer was kind of like fizzling out so when I was out there I was like hey I like have this handful of songs that I'd written if you like any of them like feel free to use it on your record like I'm not really even in a band right now we can you know do whatever and they were really into that song and so we recorded that song along with the EP that I went out there to track with them and you know wrote vocals while we were there recorded it and it ended up being the the kind of standout song from the EP and so when we changed our name to Ghost Inside and transitioned over, that was the that's the one song we took with us. Hmm. That's cool. Yeah. What was that process like? You know, of writing a full song kind of by yourself. Did you kind of have like a little setup where you could record parts and stuff, or what did that look like? I had. I just had a little practice amp in my room. Um, this was like two thousand and three, two thousand four. Okay. I just had like a really terrible combo amp and like whatever first guitar that i had you know bought at a pawn shop and um it was i was it was when i was like just devouring like heavy music it was right in the, the the few years when i was fully transitioned from punk to like all i cared about was hardcore yeah and um I liked a lot of the more metal leaning stuff. And I was listening to a record by this band called a perfect murder. Yeah. Religiously. It's all I listened to for like six years. And if you listen to the brave with that understanding, you'll understand why that song sounds the way that it does. Okay. (laughs) But um, yeah, I just, I just was really into that band and wanted to try to write a song that sounded like that. And I just got enough parts together that that ended up being, I was like, wow, this is like a full song. So it's, that's just where I ended up. That was kind of my first out of the gate full. I'd written a lot of riffs. I was playing drums in a metalcore band. So, I mean, like I was pretty proficient at guitar as far as, you know, metalcore goes. Yeah. So yeah, that was my first kind of like, well, I don't have any reason or anybody else I need to ask about the parts that we're writing. So that was it. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Then you picked a second one off of this one, uh, the song Shiner. Yeah, yeah. 
Why does this one stand out to you? So that song, um, it was actually in addition to the first album. We had recorded the whole record in those first six days, and Shiner was not a part of that recording session. Oh, wow. Um, we actually, there was a bit of like a, the space between when the album was recorded and when it was going to come out, it was a little longer than usual. It was like probably six to eight months. Um, I don't even remember why it was something label related or whatever. It was like, I think it was coming up on the holidays and it was like, Hey, like we're going to wait and put this out like earlier into the next year kind of situation. And um, we wrote, we, we wrote that song. Uh, I think the other guitar player had just like the basic chords and I'd never seen chords like that, which kind of ended up, indirectly becoming a big part of the ghost inside sound. And, um, I was like, yo, that's awesome. Like we got to do something with that and worked on that song and wrote it. And the end result of it, I think it was, it was special to me because it was, I think it was the first time that I felt like, wow, like this is like a, a song, like it's like a well-structured song. There's no parts in it that are just like thrown in, like everything in the song makes sense. It's really melodic. It's got a lot of layers to it. Um, I just remember it being a standout song and we took it to the label and we're like, Hey, like this song has to be on our record. Like we have time, send us back up like for like two days and we'll knock this song out. So we, we ended up going back up to Zach's studio and tracking that song with him and adding it to the record. Yeah, that's awesome. And that's funny how often that seems to happen where an album is complete and then another idea comes and, you know, thankfully, you know, lots of times it does work to, to be able to do that. I'm sure there's lots of circumstances where that wouldn't be the case and which would then just be annoying. It's like, ah, oh, this, this song is awesome, but there's just no way we can get it on there and you just got to live with it, I guess. <laughs> yeah. And that song, that song always stuck with me. Um, it's, uh, like I, I, I got a, I tattooed myself with lyrics from that song. Um, cause it just, it always was like important to me. And I also liked it because what I got tattooed on me is a lyric from the song called, or that's uh, the lyric is this song I leave for you from me. And I just thought it was cool that it wouldn't make sense. Like logically for anybody else in the world to tattoo that on themselves. Right. If that makes sense. I mean, maybe to have, I wouldn't know, but, for me as a member in the band that was part of writing the song, like that, that always just stuck out to me. And so I thought that was cool. I ended up getting those lyrics tattooed on me. Yeah. That's awesome. That's cool. It's now with you forever. And we'll, we'll keep reminding you of that. Yep. Yeah. So the next uh, album is returners, which was released June 8th, 2010. So this was your second full length for media scare. Uh, What kind of growth had the band gone through since the previous album to this one? Like had you um, noticed there was a big a big change, or was it you know still kind of grinding to get your name out there? We were never not grinding, honestly. We kind of just yeah, like fair. woke up like around the time that the third album came out. We kind of woke up and we're just like, wow, you know, it, people seem to like be giving us the credit that we've been fighting for. But around the time of Returners, it was just nonstop tours. Like we were doing like five or six U.S. tours a year. It was it was pretty wild, but um we just, that's all, that was the name of the game. Like we were never home ever just going, 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 um, a right before it was either right before or right after returners. It was right around then. It was, I think the first time No, it was right before returners. We, the first time we went to Europe, um, it was just grind, grind, grind. And we, uh, on, 
it's weird. Like the approach to writing returners was kind of different in the way that the first record we did the standard, just get in the room and do it. Yeah. The second record I had, that was the first time I had a recording set up like on my laptop. And I wrote almost entirely that whole record on a computer. Oh, wow. So I wrote that whole thing on the computer at our drummer's house in Arizona. So I would write a song at night and then with the next day we would go and practice it in real life and make sure that it like made sense. But that alone, I think gave it a little bit of a different feel because like I learned that after and writing the third record that it just, it's cool to get ideas out that way, but I don't think it's good to finalize writing unless you play it together, yeah. like, or change something because some of the riffs from that record, I love the way everything sounds, but physically playing it is like a little janky to try to do live because I wrote them sitting down like at, in a chair. Right. It didn't like, I, I was chair able, core. Yeah, exactly. Like I wasn't standing up moving with the song and stuff like that. So like I noticed playing a couple of those songs live, it's just like, this just doesn't feel like a live, like it doesn't feel organic live. It yeah. sounds awesome on recording and I really like the songs, but that was just a weird element to writing that way. And, um, we actually never did it again at all after that record. But, um, yeah, Re returners was a lot of times bands like never want to try to repeat anything, but honestly, the approach to writing that record was just trying to write a better version of the first album. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And, There's nothing and, wrong with that. And it almost like not song for song, but like, I could kind of give you the mirroring songs of like this song is kind of this version of this song from the first record. Like it's largely like that. And it was just, you know, we had toured with more bands. We'd like been like just grown as people a little bit more and like just wanted to just do a more polished version and, you know, better songwriting, things like that. So same vibe. It just expanded a little bit. Yeah. Well, when you're trying to, you know, progress and, and keep growing the band like you don't want to you know do this drastic shift on a second album when most people still don't know you right and so i yeah, yeah there's definitely nothing wrong with that and if, if you're confident in, in who you are then you just go with that and yeah that's that's a funny uh story about the laptop because it's probably one of those things where you were really excited it's like okay now i can actually like get ideas out but then when it comes to it, it's like, oh, okay, well, that might take a little bit more uh, kind of honing that in and realizing that, okay, yeah. you know, even something as simple as sitting down, you know, for this type of music, you know, if you're doing like acoustic music or something, that might be one thing. But yeah, that's that's a funny, uh, just, yeah, a weird dynamic that you might not think about. Yeah, no, I, I, I was basically like a, uh, I didn't intend to do it, but I taught myself that part of my songwriting needs to include like doing it in a room, standing up, like actually playing the song properly before I decide if it's done or not. Yeah. Yeah. Do you remember what maybe some of the standout tours were from this time? Like, were there any where you kind of, you know, saw a shift in, you know, either fan response or just opportunities? Um. The first, the biggest shift that we ever felt actually came the record before uh, we went, we, we were kind of just lucky because there was no reason for us to be on it, but we went to Australia um, on our first record. Wow. And it was only because uh, we, we supported, I killed the prom queen on their, like their final tour. Yeah. Cool. And uh, it was a really good tour as I killed the prom queen, um, bring me the horizon 
uh, band from Australia called the Red Shore and us. Yeah. And the only wow. reason we got on that tour is because Jonah from I Killed the Prom Queen was playing guitar and Bleeding Through at the time. And oh, our yeah. singer did merch for Bleeding Through when we weren't on tour. So it was literally just like, uh, hey, like, could we, he just told him about the tour and our singer was like, well, can, can we come almost as a joke? And Jonah was booking the tour and he was like, yeah, if you can get yourselves over there, like, yeah, you can come. That's and so amazing. I just think like a band so early in their career doing any kind of international touring just makes the band seem bigger, even if they're actually not. Right. It's just like, it's like, oh, well, if you've done whatever you've done, if it got you to the other side of the world, then like you have something going on. Yeah. So when we came home from that tour. All the tours we did after that one, like were the next level up. Yeah. And did you notice a change? Like the next time you went back to Australia, like that, that had kind of, you know, progressed where you might've otherwise been. Yeah. Uh, Australia is, was, and still is a second home to the ghost inside. And it's because we, the first time we on that tour, we kind of, most bands only go there for a week, maybe like 10 days tops. And we, it just didn't occur to us that that's the way that it should be. So we went there, we did like the 10 days of that tour. And then we just turned around and drove back and did another week and a half headlining right back to back. Oh, wow, so cool. the first time we were in Australia, it was for like a whole month. And um, I just think that the fans and just people from the music scene there just appreciated that because bands didn't typically could do that. And we like right. went and played like B markets and stuff like that. The first time we we're ever even over there. And that's just not, established bands don't even do that so the next time we went back after that was like amazing like it yeah. was a really awesome tour well yeah that just goes to show sometimes it's just you know going the extra mile and i mean yeah it makes sense you're there already may as well do it once or twice and yep you know make your mark while you're there and obviously it paid off for you guys yep we went every year after that so that was in 2008 and the band went every year up until, you know, when the band got in the accident. Yeah. Wow. That's yeah. crazy. And it was the second show that they did back after the accident. And so, I mean, that's all for a reason. Australia is an amazing place for music. Yeah. Yeah. That's right to hear. Yeah. So the song you picked for this album is Between the Lines.
song impacted you um that song was that was the first time that like live there was like an a pretty overwhelming crowd response as far as like you know singing the big one-liner of the song and stuff like that the the first couple times we played that song it was like whoa like it was the the crowd reaction was just noticeably on a different level. And I mean, part of that was just because we were growing as a band, but I just, I just think that song just connected with people. It was really fast and energetic, but it still had the metal melody and it, you know, still had the heavy parts and stuff like that. But I just remember the crowd reaction of that song being like, that was the first time that we had experienced something like that. Mm. And it was, um, but aside from that, like that song is special to me personally. Uh, that's the, that song is the first time I've ever written any lyrics um, oh, wow. prior to that song. And that was honestly, I think I wrote all the lyrics to that song other than maybe part of some of the verses. Okay. Um, and that wasn't a thing before I'd always helped the singer with arrangement and stuff like that, but he'd always written everything, but I just, I think we were just bored in the van or just, I was bored like on a long drive one time and I was like, I just want to see what will happen if I try to do this. And by the time, you know, it was like a 10 hour drive. And by the time we get there, I had most of the song figured out and I showed it to the singer and he's like, dude, this is awesome. We should just use this. Yeah. Right. Okay. Like I was just kind of messing around, like trying to figure out if I could even do it because I had been helping with arrangement, but yeah. So that was, that was the first time I'd ever like written lyrics that ended up on an album. So that, that was like, that was special for me. Like that stands out for me for sure. Yeah. Was there anything in particular that inspired the lyrics or was it just kind of, you know, whatever yeah. was going on then? And um, the song is very specifically, it, it, it's a, it's on the topic of religion, but it's not specifically about religion itself. It's about members specifically within the Christian community that um, exploit religion for their own like to further themselves yeah undeserving it's one thing like if you like if if you're you know if christianity is your whole life to the point where like you become a pastor or like do something involved with that there's no issue with that obviously but like it stemmed a lot from that was around the time that we we toured uh with a lot of christian bands at the time like christian metalcore was still like very much a big thing yeah definitely you could see when you tour with somebody like behind the scenes, there's a very, very big difference between the bands that were in it because of that. And the bands that were just attaching the label to themselves, because at the time, if you said you were a Christian band, you just automatically had an instilled fan base and it just didn't sit right. 
with me and I was just like, that's like, you gotta like, you gotta do the work. If you're gonna, if you're gonna claim something like that, like you should be deserving of it. For sure. And that song was just specifically about that, but just in general people that, you know, take advantage of a giving community without doing anything to deserve it or giving back. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's cool. And it's, yeah, that's a, a good topic to, to bring to light and, you know, especially with your experience in that. And, um, you know, even with, like, I know, you know, the band that I played in that, you know, kind of came, you know, from that background. And so we, we kind of saw a lot of the, a lot of the yeah. same things and it, yeah, kind of pushes you away or, yeah it's just a weird thing like it just i don't has know like a very thick layer of inauthenticity that is just just doesn't sit right because it's like goes inside is by no means an anti-religious band like the same exact record had a like we had tommy from sleeping giant do yeah a that's right record. yeah i love that guy specifically the, the that song was about how it shouldn't matter what your beliefs are you should still be able to like coexist and be there for each other in the music scene or just in life regardless. So it's like, we had very opposite ends of the spectrum as far as covering religious religion in our lyrics. Yeah, man, I forgot about that song. I got to go back and listen. That song is awesome. I love, it was really awesome because like, you know, at the time and even now, I mean, Tommy is a very influential figure in you know, religion and just, especially in like the Christian music scene and stuff like that. Very deserving. So like, you you want to talk about authentic like it doesn't get any more authentic than that guy and that's why we wanted him on the song and he was like he was cool enough to see our vision because like the verses of that song one verse is from the standpoint of someone who just like turns their nose up in religion and doesn't have time for it and another verse is from the standpoint of a christian person that turns their nose up at anybody that's not christian right and they sung each other's parts. So Tommy actually sang the verse as the someone who's like, you know, talking crap on religion. And then our singer did the verse as the person who is, you know, the religious person who doesn't have time for anybody else. And that, you know, they have opposite beliefs in that department. So it was really cool that he like saw where we were going with that. And then like contribute to it. Cause it, I mean, that, he didn't just do a guest spot. He sings the half of the entire song. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's awesome. Yeah, that's a really cool to have those kind of collaborations and right. It unifies a community and it just shows that, you know, we're kind of all, you know, within a music scene, kind of in this together, right? Despite, yeah. you know, beliefs are a strong thing, but it's not the, you know, the only thing, right? And so it's, Yeah, they, beliefs are strong beliefs is awesome, but it doesn't negate respect. For sure, yeah. Yeah, that's a yeah. good way to put it. Yeah, awesome. Yeah, well let's uh talk about the next album, which is Get What You Give. So this was your first release on Epitaph, which was produced by a Data Remembers vocalist Jeremy McKinnon, was released on June 19th, 2012, debuted at number 88 on the Billboard 200. Um, yeah, this this was a big album. I remember even like around where I'm from and, you know, signed to Epitaph. I remember being really excited about that and just the exposure you guys would get. And um, yeah, this must have been kind of a dream come true to sign to Epitaph. You know, remember kind of how that came about and how did that impact the band at that point? Yeah, it, it was a it was a huge shift in the band for sure. Um, everything around that time was changing. Um, we were, we, I mean... I don't, I don't want to be disrespectful to our first label. I mean, we, 
you know, we had our experiences and our relationship was what it was, but we wouldn't have been a band without them because he took a chance on, you know, a dying dream when nobody else would. So I yeah. mean, the ghost side wouldn't exist without him and his label. And I'll always give him that credit, but we just, we felt a little stuck and um, we were just ready. Like the band felt like it was in a position and ready to just take the next step. And um, we had just took on new management. Um, John Youngman from fly South, who's still with the band today. Awesome dude. Um, he, he just worked on the next level and he had the access to like, he was just like, what do you guys want to do here? And we, we, we felt like we owed it to ourselves to just see what options the band had. And if there, if any of the options we had weren't any better then you know, we wouldn't have gone anywhere else, but you can't argue with epitaphs, you know, history and Definitely. track record. And it's just like that label is so awesome. And they, you know, if, especially, you know, as an indie label, I think they might even be the biggest, but they don't act like it. Like the staff, is so friendly and welcoming and like there was never any like you know hey this is what you need to do kind of thing like that nobody from epitaph including brett heard a note of get what you give until it was done oh like the first time they heard it was like for, like uh first pass through the mix yeah and so like he didn't want anything to do with telling he was like you guys are already doing what you're doing and you're paving your own path like, just keep doing that. Like, we're here to support that. Like we, we back you and whatever you want to do, like, let's just do it. And, um, between the band, like taking on new management, which opened up some of those doors. Cause John already had a relationship with Epitaph from some of the other bands that he had been working with. So he opened up that door and, um, yeah, that record coming out really changed a lot. Like it up until then we had predominantly just been doing support tours I think we did, we did one headlining run. We did a, a headlining U S tour, Europe tour and Australian tour for returners. And that was the first time the band had ever headlined and it went pretty well. But besides that, we were just, we were just doing support tours. And so when get what you give came out, like that was the first time we ever felt like, okay, like we feel like we're justified in considering ourselves a, a headlining mm. band. Yeah, I'm sure that felt good just after all those years of, of grinding it out and just working yeah. hard and and uh yeah, I mean not not every band makes it through to that point and so it's yeah. it's cool and you can kind of see like okay, like this paid off and you know, now we're at a point where we can just keep going and what was uh how did the relationship with Jeremy come about and why were you wanting to work with him on this album? Um we had already been uh, acquaintances with them. We uh uh, the data remember guys honestly were just a fan of the band and we they invited us to hop on a show with them randomly like and i think in phoenix we were coming through town and they invited us to play because they were there playing and so we hopped on their show and kind of just like stayed in contact and friends since then and when we were talking about where we wanted to record get what you give um uh, our manager john suggested doing it in florida with andrew wade who did you know the first handful of data remember records because yep. uh our manager john also manages a data remember oh, okay so it's just kind of another um 
And honestly, we probably, it made so much sense once we got in the studio, as far as like what we were looking to do with our band. But outside of that, we probably would have never even considered it or even thought that, you know, Jeremy would have wanted to work with us. But once we started having the conversations, it was like, it was really clear that the strengths that we had as a band, he didn't want to do anything with at all. He's like, you guys are already doing all of this so well. Like, let's just tighten up song structure. Like, let's just work on songwriting in general. And obviously like, you know, vocally had a whole lot to offer. And so it was just more just kind of honing what it is that we were already doing and expanding on it. And so that was the first record that we worked with like a, like a proper producer on. And, um, it was a really cool experience, both him and, uh, Andrew Wade doesn't really get much producer credit from that record, but him and Jeremy, I would say almost 50, 50 worked on it. Um, and they work so well together already from the albums they did together. Right. It was just like a really seamless, uh, experience as far as working with them. But outside of that, recording that writing and recording that record was really unconventional. We wrote the entire record at the studio in about a week and a half. Wow. Crazy. Like I, we had just been touring so much that we just, we tried to put some time aside to write, but I was just like, we'd been gone tour for like six weeks. The last thing I wanted to do, I just had, I did not feel inspired to come home and want to play right. guitar or music. <laughs> so we like, we like got together and like wrote a handful of riffs. Like I, I think we had like three parts. I had half of engine 45 hashed out. Like it's just rhythm guitar. Uh, I had like one or two other parts and that's all we showed up with. And so we just, we just mic'd up the, you know, put a snare or a snare and kick mic up and just mic'd up the guitar cab and just hit play and recorded, just wrote and recorded every day for like seven days straight and that was by the end of that week we had the bones for the whole record yeah see like to me that seems like too much pressure where it's kind of like like what if you just don't get the songs or the ideas that you want it's like you're ready in the studio but i guess maybe at this point (laughs) yeah i agree it didn't feel like it at the time it was just like it's time to go do a record i had kind of been like at soundcheck playing guitar i i was i didn't feel nervous about it because i felt in the zone as far as just being inspired and ready to do it. So we just showed up knowing that it needed to get done. And uh, it was our first record with, uh, Andrew, um, playing drums. Right. Yeah. So like, um, yeah, him and I just, we just powered through it and granted by the end of that week, there was no vocals, there was no leads, there was none of that stuff done, but like the rhythm guitar and the parts and the order for the most part that you hear them on the record, like that was done in about a week, which, I don't recommend doing. We just got really lucky that we were able to like, you know, what you call it magic or whatever that was with us at the time, but yeah, it, it came out. <laughs> well, and Andrew is an awesome drummer too. So that probably helped, uh, you know, however that dynamic was of the other guy leaving and him coming on, you know, with him have been playing in further fallen dreams and done a number of albums with them. And yep. I mean, he was an awesome drummer live already. And so, yeah, I remember being really stoked uh, seeing that, yeah, because I think I mentioned to you we had played a number of shows with them, and they always seemed like a band that, you know, kind of the same as your first few album, albums, like, you know, really grinding it out and, yep. you know, not really kind of really hitting maybe that same mark, maybe just because they were heavier or whatever. But, um, yeah, so when he joined you guys, I remember being being stoked on that. Yeah, for sure. 
So, well, yeah, what were maybe, like, so you said the, the touring had kind of, like, shifted at this point. You're doing some more headlining stuff. Uh, any kind yeah. of standout tours that came, you know, in the year or two after this release? Um, yep. The, the album came out. It was supposed to come out at the beginning of it, but it was slightly delayed. But the album came out uh, the first year that we did Warp Tour. And uh, that was like, uh, that was definitely on the bucket list for sure at the yeah. time of things that we would have, you know, loved to do. And so that coming together and it went really well. Like it was a, like we went over really well on that tour. Like um, we had a great time, you know, made a lot of friends. Just the, the entire staff and production of that tour is incredible. I mean, there, there's endless stories from bands about how amazing it is to be on that. But we went straight from that. Um, I don't remember what we did right after, but I know it was straight into a run of headline tours. I've, actually, no, we went around the world headlining for that record, like all the way around the world yeah. in a trip, which was pretty crazy. I don't remember where it fell on the timeline, but yeah, we did a U.S. tour into an Asia tour, into a U.S. tour, into a Europe tour all wow. in a row. And is so, that pretty varied in response from all those places? Like, um, kind of how did that fit together? Was it like, you know, a really good Asian tour and then kind of a subpar, you know, a different part of the world or that was, I believe that was our first time. Yeah. That was our first time doing touring in Asia, but it was, I mean, we, it was our third album. So we were already like the people there had like the shows were really good. The attendance was smaller than something that would have been at home, but I mean, there was still a good, like couple hundred people at those shows. Yeah. Well, awesome. And, um, it, it was, it, I mean, it, for going somewhere for the first time, it was amazing. Um, but the, the headlining in general, we, like I said, we started touring internationally so early as a band that um, we already pretty well had our foot in the door and the Australian. And I mean, by the time the Get What You Give came out, I think the Get What You Give tour was like our third or fourth Australian tour and like our right. fifth or sixth Europe tour. So, um, those shows were awesome. I mean, around the time I left the band in 2014 and around that time, I, I would argue to say that Europe was probably our biggest draw uh, in the U S and Australia being about neck and neck. So, uh, the headlining on get what you give was pretty even as far as response, it was pretty even across the board and attendance just slightly varied as far as where we were at in the world. Yeah, we're right on. Yeah, so yeah. let's talk about the song Engine 45 that you mentioned. Like a brain drain. Oh, 
How did this song come together and why is it a favorite from this album? Um, I just, I, I love the, it's, it's another one of those songs that stuck out to me that just from a songwriting standpoint, it just felt, it just feels really good as a song, like start to finish. Everything's where it needs to be. Um, As far as like writing that song, like just the musically, nothing really changed in the studio as far as like, you know, working with Jeremy and Andrew and stuff like that. Like, like the, they just came together really quickly and really effortlessly. Um, I just, I love the, the opening riff is one of my favorites just in general. And I really love the, the verses of that song too. They just, it's the same riff for both verses, but completely different drum parts. Yeah. And I, I just, that was the first time I think that I had like fully just like used the same riff 
for both verses because that it like it felt like a little like naughty almost to be like oh that's just like what you do in a pop song but i sat back i was like i write almost all of these songs in like pop format for the most part like yeah why can't I do the same thing with my verse riffs? You know what I mean? Yeah. So just the, I, and things like that is what started to make the songs just feel more complete. And, uh, that was the first time engine 45 is the first time we incorporated any kind of clean singing into any of our songs. Yeah, that's right. Um, did that feel like weird or forced or no, that- it, it didn't at all. And we went into that record completely, especially knowing we were going to go into the studio with Jeremy. Right, we yeah. didn't want to limit ourselves whatsoever to the opportunity of incorporating that. We didn't go into it determined that it needed to happen, but we went into the studio, studio opening completely open to the fact that if there was a part that called for it, like we were going to go there. Yeah. I mean, we were going to do it in a way that felt right for our band, but we we had no reservations about including that in that album and the parts that came though I mean, we didn't do it in every song by any means and so the parts where it felt like this just needs to be that like we we dove right in yeah no, no i definitely think it paid off and yeah we even opened up for some other opportunities later on so yeah, yeah and i remember the first time we played that song live was at chain reaction at the end of because the album came out on warp tour like right in the middle of it. So like we, we were only playing like one or two songs from the record and it wasn't that song. Cause we hadn't like with introducing like clean singing live and stuff like that. Like we wanted to pra- like have that song be well practiced and like, make sure that like, we we're going to, we we're going to play a song that we knew people were excited about. We wanted to play it well. Yeah. So at the end of that tour, um, you know, sound checks and stuff, we had been working on it and just like kind of jamming on it. And we booked a song or we booked a show at Chain Reaction the week after Warp Tour ended. It was a secret show that we announced like two days before because all the Warp Tour like radiuses, clauses and stuff like that right. for like, yeah. typical touring stuff. Like um, we couldn't announce the show till well after. And we, we announced this uh, secret show at Chain. I think there was like two days heads up of, hey, we're playing here. And it was also just kind of an excuse to like sell off all the extra merch from the Warped and stuff like that. And um, that was the first time we played that song, and it was overwhelming. Wow! Like um, that. I mean, that venue's pretty notorious for shows. Yeah, just being on a different level anyway, and it being pretty much a hometown show for us. I mean, as close as a hometown was going to get at that point. Like our members were kind of spread across the country, but definitely a hometown show. And that was the first time we played that song, and it was the crowd sang along so loud that you couldn't hear the singer coming out of the PA. So we just stopped singing. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. It was like overwhelming. Like, I mean, it, it, it stand it, that show alone because of that song at that show stands out as probably my top three shows with the band of all mm, time. Crazy. And um, yeah, that was like, you ask anybody in the band of you just mention that show and they're going to be like, there's not, there's not a way to describe how insane it was. Cause we had had a lot of really wild shows up to that point, but that was just like, I, the crowd was singing louder than my guitar amp. That was like four feet behind me. And it yeah. was just like, <laughs> it was just the crowd and drums. And that was the only real thing that was going on. And yeah. it was, just, it was so cool. 
Well, that's when you know you have something when you, you know, when you say, okay, that was worth, you know, doing something, you know, a little bit different. It's not that crazy, but, you know, it does, you know, give people that extra kind of invitation to, you know, sing along. And yeah. I know there's lots of sing-alongs in hardcore, but even just something small like that, right? It's not necessarily this like huge singing chorus or something, but even just to have that element yeah. in it that kind of opens it up a bit. For sure. Yeah, so let's talk on uh, the last album here, Dear Youth, which was released on November 17th, 
Well, this is your final album with the band. Uh, what were things like with the band going into this album? Same thing, super busy, didn't have enough time to write. Like the drummer and I got together for like a week before we left to the studio. So we had more material going to the studio than we did forget what you give. But that being said, it wasn't an album's worth. So um, the recording process for Dear Youth was, I mean, we, we had booked a fair amount of time, but we even went over on that. I think we were there for like three months but it was split up. We did like a couple tours in between. So it was like that album definitely was, was a grind, but I loved every second of it. Cause it was just like, like get what you give. The song just came together. It was like really effortless and really just like, it just all came out and dear youth. We, we had to grind to get it there. And I'm glad we did because the songs wouldn't, have like the album wouldn't have sounded like the songs that ended up on that album would have never been produced of any other like situation other than like mm-hmm. what it was. Cause it's like, um, I mean, at one point in time, like we had a Europe tour booked and we still weren't done recording. So like I flew over for the first day of the tour because it was a gross rock festival okay. and I stayed around for two days to teach Chris from devil wears Prada, how to play my parts and then flew back to the studio oh, while, wow. they were, while they're on tour. So it's like, you know, I, I, it was, it was a grind and like every one of those songs had like two and three different versions of it by the time we were done. So like, we really got to like hone all those songs, which was a really, it was like the most proper recording kind of experience as far as just really going through the songs and making sure everything's right. And just like stepping back and um, dear youth, Dear Youth was that song I would say probably came together. It was one of the easier songs as far as how it came together other than the end of the song. So the original version of that song had a completely different ending that like went in a totally different direction. Um, We tried to do something. It was one of those things where the idea that we tried to do was way cooler than what it ended up being. (laughs) Yeah. What we tried to do is the, the, the opening track from returners is this like really melodic kind of just intro track with no vocals. Yeah. And so I was like, I really liked what we did with like, like I basically tried to make a part out of that intro track. And so we made this whole big ending part based around the intro of returners and it was cool, but it just, other than it being cool because it was revisited something from another album, it just didn't really, it didn't meet, meet the mark other than that. Mm. So at that point we're like, well, the first half of the song's awesome. We have like, you know, an awesome chorus, some great verses, and we need something to round this out. And so that guitar lead at the end of the song is something that I had kind of just had for a while and I don't know why I wasn't trying to use it. Maybe I'd like forgotten about it. Cause at that point we're like, all right, we need to do something different with this song. I think I just like went through my like computer, like file of riffs. And I was like, Oh yeah, I have this like lead part. We could go that direction. And like that, that's what we did. And um, it ended up being like one of my favorite, like lead parts that we ever did on any of the albums. Yeah. That's really cool. Yeah, yeah, when it comes together like that. Uh, at what point in the in this album cycle did you exit the band? Um, right, uh, really early in the cycle. We put the record out um, 
in November, I believe, of 2014, we were in the middle of a back-to-back Australian, Europe, and then U.S. tour. The U.S. tour was the album release tour for the record. It was a co-headline tour with Every Time I Die, and that was my last record, hmm. or my last tour with the band. So I, the album came out in November, and I left in December. Wow. Was yeah. that was that hard leaving something you'd put so much of your your life into, or you don't necessarily need to go into all the other reasons? But you know, was it were you yes okay to no. step away? Or I mean, ultimately, I left the band because I was going to become a father, and I are where the band was at. Um, the 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 amount of touring that was already lined up, and this the way that because I mean, you know, touring bands tour a lot, of course, but we we toured even more than that. <laughs> like, you know, we did three Europe by the, the last two years that I was in the band, we did three Europe tours a year, three U S tours a year, Australia, and then just one random place we'd never been to. That was our touring schedule every year. How come no so Canada? Like, well, we would include, we would include <laughs> no, that kidding. with, yeah, we would stuff like that. We would do a Canada run or we always include Canada. Oh, well, Canada was also tricky for us because our other guitar player at the time had issues like getting into the country. Oh uh, yeah. So when we played in Canada, we usually had to get a fill in. So it was kind of a, a whole thing. Oh, okay. But, um, yeah, like the, the time that I left, I ultimately left because I didn't want to be gone. Like I'd missed so much in my personal life. Like, you know, coming home and see visibly seeing my parents older, like things like that. I just didn't want to have those thoughts about being a dad. Yeah. And, you know, being a, being a father is something I'd always look forward to in my life. And I wanted to just fully be there for it. And I mean, but outside of that, like it, it goes with every band, like, you know, things ebb and flow. I mean, by the time I left the band, my relationship with the band wasn't great. And, I. Uh, I've, I've, I've done other interviews and stuff like that, talking about it in depth. Yeah. I, I definitely include myself as far as like uh, responsibility for that. Like I just wasn't taking care of those relationships the way that you should with people that you, you know, spend all your time with. And, you know, when I left aside from that, I didn't feel like there was anything that I else that I needed to do. Yeah, like yeah. If you would have asked me like on the first record, what are your like end all be all goals of being in a band? You know, we had already surpassed anything I would have said. So I didn't feel like I was going to leave the band with regrets of like, Oh, like, you know, I wish I would have gotten to do this. Like it was just, we had built this band and grinded over the course of, you know, six, seven years to a point where, we were at a really great plat. I mean, when I had left the band, they're on a whole different level now, obviously after their comeback, like, I mean, the band is monstrous at this point, but when I left the band, we were the biggest that we had been in the band's career at that time. Yeah. So like, I didn't feel like I was leaving anything on the table and it was, it, it was just, it was just time for the next part of my life, you know? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. How did yeah. you find those, those months following that, you know, I know it can be a drastic and sometimes overwhelming shift to go from, you know, full-time touring to, to being at home and just maybe not really knowing kind of what your identity is and, and all that. How did I'm, you find that transition? I'm, I'm glad you asked this because I feel like it's something that people that go from doing music as a career or doing anything like creative where your measure of success is based on other people liking you or yeah. what you do 
shifting gears for any reason you could be kicked out of a band you could quit you could like your band could just break up because you know there's a million reason why but i would i would assume that they all come with the same steps and things to navigate after the fact that you just can't be prepared for and that's like it like i i i feel like maybe i was in a slightly better position than maybe some people like say someone who has, you know, gets kicked out of a band and had no intention of not doing anymore. Right. Probably would have a rougher go of it than, you know, me who I chose to leave. And I also chose to leave a band to focus on being a father. So clearly I immediately had my hands full. Yeah. But even that being said, going from your whole life being centered around something and like, you know, I, identity everything around that being based on people liking what you do to then just that being not part of your reality anymore. Like I wasn't like, Oh, I still need people to pay attention to me. It's just a weird shift. Yeah. Like it's hard to find. And it's also the hardest part for me personally was that my career at that point was something that my whole, that like creatively everything about my life that I had interest in was also my career. So it was really easy to just be completely immersed in it. It wasn't like, I didn't have the grind of having to go to work and hating my job or anything like that. Like my job was what I left. So transitioning, that was the hardest transition for me was to feel like my, from my, from an identity standpoint, not in the, like, the, the attention aspect of it, but from the self-fulfillment of feeling like that I was living up to, you know, my fullest potential, like things from that kind of side of things, my fulfillment was the hardest thing for me to navigate because I needed to start from scratch, like career wise and things like that. Yeah. And I, I mean, I work in the construction industry now and I really like my job. Like my boss is awesome. Like I, I, for being a, you know, a career guy now, like I, I have a pretty good situation and I still struggle with finding ways to feel, feel fulfilled as a person of like, like in the band where like, you know, with ghost inside, I was, I wrote most of the music and towards the last year or two, Jim started helping taking over a lot of the like just day to day business stuff. But the first few years of the band was it was all me. So it was just like I'm used to feeling like being fully immersed in my career and then getting fulfillment out of that. Mm. And in a normal job scenario, that's not the way you find fulfillment in life. Yeah. You have a career to sustain yourself so that you can find fulfillment in your personal life. Right. And so like those were always the same thing. So those becoming separate things was really weird for me to try to figure out. And so it's like trying to just like, it, it was just, it was hard. Like, I don't know. I'm good at my job now. I know that I'm good at it. I've done well. I've ex advanced a lot in my field, but I had to learn how to not measure that in my own mind of having anything to do with my happiness. Yeah. Yeah. Lots, lots of good thoughts and points in there. And, uh, yeah, you know, it's, it's weird going from something that can, you know, I know touring is grinding, but you know, it kind of has the glamorous side of, right? Like you're hanging out with your friends, you're, you know, staying up late and seeing sights and traveling the world. And, 
and you kind of come home and it's just kind of, you know, day to day is more or less kind of the same, right? You're not, you know, yes, you're with your loved ones, you know, becoming a dad and all that. But yeah, it's just one of those weird, you know, kind of things that you don't really know how to deal with because you haven't done it before. And it just kind of, yeah, the, the, the traveling thing was the other weird thing. I got used to it a lot quicker than the other aspects of like transitioning. But when I quit the band from when we started touring in 2007 until I quit the longest stretch of time I was ever at home consecutively, I think was five weeks. And that was once other than that, it was like two weeks tops. Yeah. So like, that was really weird. Like the whole first half of 2015, I just felt really anxious of like, it's time to be going to do something. And I didn't have anything to to fill that something with. Yeah. It was just like, cause the first year that my daughter was alive, um, since I was kind of starting from scratch in my career anyway, I was like, well, instead of just trying to go straight out and like work all day, every day to figure out what I'm going to do, like I have a little bit of money saved from the band. Like I'll just work at night and I'll be with my daughter during the day. So I didn't even actually, like, I was just doing, I was working like security of venues and like doing load and load out and stuff like that at night when my daughter was asleep. And so I was just hanging out with her all day, every day. So, I mean, I went from moving to like, not like I went from traveling full-time to not really leaving my house other than like at night to go work for a little bit. Cause yeah. I was just with my daughter constantly. So that was, that was definitely a interesting dynamic to navigate to. Yeah. Do you remember what the first show you went to after you had ended with the band and kind of like what that was like? Did it feel weird kind of being, I guess if you're working at venues and you're kind of around that, but you know, just going to see a band play and just being like, Oh, like I miss being that person up there. Um, the really first show that so I, I mean, well, to be fair, the first show that I went to was a show that I worked because I started doing security at Chain Reaction. Um, the other guitar player, Foreign Pain, it's my buddy Daryl, which is actually the whole reason that Foreign Pain started. Um, he was head of security at Chain forever. And so when I was home, he's like, hey, if you want to come down and like work at night, feel free. So yeah, I think the first show I went to was just whatever random show that I was working there. Okay. Um, like I said, the... I didn't have any feelings of like, Oh, like I wish I was still doing this. So I didn't really have much of that as far as being around shows. If I did, I probably wouldn't have started working at venues. Right. I remember the first U S tour that ghost inside did after I left the band, they played chain. So I worked their show. Yeah. <laughs> that was kind of, that so was you rigged all their gear to like not work and stuff. And <laughs> yeah, no, not at all. Yeah, um, no, but that that was that was kind of interesting because like things were still a little definitely still weird between me and the actual members of the band at the time. So like we didn't necessarily like hang out, like said hi, but that was about it. But that was the first time I had ever seen the ghost inside. Yeah. So that was kind of interesting. It was like, wow, like I mean, everything they hadn't written, obviously have been a couple months and an album had just come out. It's not like they were playing any new material. It was all songs that I had been a part of. Yeah. So like that was kind of a, that was an interesting aspect to like sit in the bar a chain and like watch the band I'd been in forever, like play the songs. I was like, huh, like this is what it's like to be on the other side. Hmm. Well, that's cool. You even had that outlet, like to still be around music, you know, whether local or touring artists, you know, just to kind of still feel a part of it. And so that, yeah, that's yeah. being in that area. You kind of had that, uh, that benefit. Yeah. 
Yeah, well, let's, uh, yeah, let's shift our focus uh, towards your new band, Foreign Pain, you just mentioned. just released your new album death of divinity on september 3rd um so after leaving the ghost inside like at what point did you realize that you know you needed to get back to playing music or did you kind of always know but maybe just not the exact time or kind of how it might happen um it was it was pretty organic um i definitely just been playing playing guitar at home and the first like material that was written that became foreign pain songs wasn't for a band it was me just riffing at home and you know, everything I had written for, you know, four albums before that was all for Ghost Inside. It was all, you know, very down tuned, all in drop tuning. Like it was, it was centered loosely all around the same kind of sound. And when I got done touring, like when I left the band, I was like, you know, if I write anything now, one, I don't really need to write anything because what's it for, but I would still risk would come out. And around that time I was like, Hey, you know what? Like, I can't remember the last time I just put a guitar and just standard tuning and just like played and see what would come out. Yeah. So I did. And 
being in the higher tuning kind of made me lean towards trying to make it like, I was like, I wonder how aggressive I could make just standard tuning sound. Yeah. That's cool. And around the time that I was writing some of that stuff, I was just, it wasn't even on purpose. I just happened to be listening to like turmoil and a lot of that kind of like old, like, you know, old kind of metal and hardcore bands from like late nineties, early two thousands. I just like been on a random kick. So some of those riffs just were coming out on their own. And this was all around the same time that I had started doing security at some venues and I was working at chain pretty, uh, chain reaction pretty consistently and just kind of organically like me and Daryl, just hanging out and he was like hey like we should like bring our like just throw our stuff in the back room so we can play guitar like when the shows get out so foreign pain literally the the, you know the idea for foreign pain started just playing guitar at like one in the morning in the back room of chain reaction yeah man yeah that's yeah that's so cool and it must be nice just not having you know the pressure you know you know you're not going to be you know, touring or, you know, maybe I'll do some here and there, but right where you can just kind of do it for the joy of it. There's, yeah, you're not like, okay, we've got to get this much done for this or that. And how- that was the coolest part is that that was the first time since I was a teenager that I had experienced playing music as a hobby Yeah, and being like doing music as a career is awesome and very hard to succeed at and very rewarding to succeed at. But once you've done that and then go back to doing it as a hobby, you get like a whole different appreciation of it. Cause like you said, like it doesn't matter if you get anything done. It doesn't matter if it's any good. It doesn't matter if you put it out, it's just enjoyable. And so like, that's, that's why we started jamming at first. It was like, I'd met Daryl cause he played in stick to your guns briefly. And we toured with them in like 2008 when he was in the band. So I just knew him from that and um, our singer and bass player, both from Iowa and they played in a band together back there. Our drummers played in a million bands and, you know, played in other bands with our other guitar player, Daryl. And it was just kind of an excuse to like get together. The first time we got together, it was like, let's just see what happens, but it went well. And after that, it, it, for the first year of the band, it was genuinely just an excuse to all get together and hang out. Cause we just, we'd spend more time talking than we did practice. Yeah. Yeah, that's cool. You had all those different connections that came came towards us. Everyone kind of was looking for something, and so this project is definitely like a lot heavier than you know the Ghost Inside. You know, do you? How does that kind of play out? Like, do you miss you know the melodic parts, or was it just like I just want to see kind of how you know kind of nasty I can make this sound, and or is it just you know the group of guys aren't as interested in that, or um. I think it's a combination of most of that. Um, Like I said, like the first stuff I started writing was definitely, it was a, it was very reactionary to like wanting to do something different than I had done before. And then it was also just time and place of like what I just happened to be listening to at the time. And then at that point, like once we had one or, you know, we had like two songs roughly done it sounded similar enough and were like pretty clearly influenced from like kind of older bands and stuff. It was like, well, I mean, we started here, like, let's just keep going. And by the time we, you know, had all the songs done for the record, I will say it covers a lot of ground (laughs) as far as like the influence and what it sounds like. I mean, 
the singer is kind of the only through line. That's what makes it all sound like what I would call foreign pain. But man, we go from, we have one song that's like a pretty typical, typical ish melodic hardcore song. Um, but then we have a song with like a black metal blast beat chorus. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then it's like everything in between. It's just, it covers so much ground. Um, and I, I think it, it wasn't on purpose to cover that much ground, but it was very much on purpose to not limit that. Right. Like we did not care at all how cohesive it was. I mean, I just think with, you know, everybody has been in bands before. So there was already like a level of songwriting with amongst the members that were, what was at a certain level that it wasn't going to be too ridiculous to, you know, mix a lot of genres. Yeah. And, um, and then just like our singer Doyle, like just sounding the way that he does, which is just extremely angry. Yeah. Um, <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. So, and honestly, like when we started the band, I, I, him and I were just friends. We, I'd never, we had never played music together. I'd never seen his old bands. Cause he's, he's a transplant from, you know, the Midwest and him and Sean, our bass player, their old band was, you know, at that point they'd been out of it for like five or six years. So, I mean, he had showed me their record and I was like, Oh, okay. I kind of understand what you sound like, but he sings not dramatically different from when he did long ago, but like, definitely better and when i started hearing his voice on our music like on the songs we had written i was like okay like i know loosely the lane that we should be trying to you know stay in here um we pushed the boundaries of that lane pretty ex extensively but like it was definitely always gonna be like from a very a great like the band's really heavy but i feel like it's more pissed off than it is heavy yeah Cause it's like some of the most pissed off parts of the record, like aren't even like, you know, a breakdown or something like that. It's just like his voice just on top of just the music. It just, it's just very angry. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of, kind of, we're not angry dudes, but that's what came out. <laughs> yeah. No. Yeah. It kind of comes out kind of a bit more sludgy than, yeah. Um, yeah. Just the, the progressions and yeah. And the sound of his voice. And so you guys were, you released these really cool videos kind of detailing, you know, the meaning behind some of the lyrics on this album and how did that project come together and you know, what were the thoughts going into that? So, um, the idea behind it started from the lyrical content of the record. Um, our, our singer, I mean, I give, I, I give them all the props in the world. Like a lot of people will talk about their personal life or like, you know, dive into stuff that's uncomfortable, but I've never been a part of a music project where from a lyrical standpoint, like someone was willing to put themselves out there so far. Yeah. And that being said in hardcore, you know, it's aggressive vocals. Like you, you're, you can't exactly hear every word. And even then, if you go back and read the lyrics, knowing what the song's about, the lyrics are very like to the point and they're not super metaphorical as far as dealing with what, you know, he wrote songs about. Um, but in the aggressive, like not everybody's going to catch that. And so we're like him and I were having a conversation probably, I don't know, four or five months ago. And I was just like, Hey man, like what you've put in, like, I, I feel like, lyrically this album is on like a really cool level of like you know not only you're talking about things that i think are really relatable but they're also really pretty dark and 
pretty deep as far as like, you know, what it's about. And I think we owe it to ourselves and also to anybody that like is cool enough to check out our band to do what we can to give somebody like a window into how deep, you know, that rabbit hole goes. Like, that's not just like, we're not just singing about being mad at our mom or something like that. Like you're talking about real things that a lot of people deal with and don't always talk about. And so it was like, okay. So like, that was, that was the starting place. How do we, how do we talk about, you know, how do we do any kind of a lyric explanation? And, you know, the default for that, I think a lot of times is like, you know, sit the singer down in a chair, put a camera on them and just what's the song about go. And we knew we wanted to do something more than that. And two, I think some of the topics that he covered, I don't think he would have agreed to sit there and be on camera to talk about it. Yeah. Just been too uncomfortable. And it would like how uncomfortable he would have been would have made it too uncomfortable to watch like in a bad way. And, um, we wanted to do more. And so we're lucky in the sense that we can, we can do a lot of things in our band creatively in house and all as far as visually our you know, our bass player, Sean is a director for a living. Okay. So we, we, we went to him. We all kind of just, I, I think I, I had like this loose idea of, Hey, like, what if we just record you talking about it almost like a monologue and then figure out some kind of visual element to attach to it. Yeah. That was the root of the idea. Took it to Sean. We all just kind of hashed it out and it grew into like, okay, what does that visual look like? And we're like, well, what if it's just, I mean, you know, these songs are very personal to our singer. What if we just do footage of him just kind of going through his everyday life? Like one of our first ideas was just to like do the similar kind of shots, but just like, you know, him at work or just hanging out with his family or whatever. And so we built, built and built on that idea to where it became a loose narrative that kind of fit in with each song thematically and um recorded the audio i mean he he recording the audio for those was rough i mean i i just set him up at our practice spot and he probably talked for about 20 minutes per song and then i just kind of compiled it into something that was a little more cohesive but when we had to take a lot of breaks you know he had to step out and get some air um he had to stop in the middle of talking a few times because some of that stuff's just real real deep and real personal to him. And he was dealing with a lot of, I guess I'll say that's the other aspect of this is that a lot of people write about heavy stuff that's from their past. He just, because this album took us so long, we spent so long recording this album, like years and years, most of the stuff he's singing about was happening in real time. Like he was going through a lot of really heavy stuff in the years that we were recording this. So like, you know, it, it was still very, very much a fresh wound that, you know, in dealing with a lot of this stuff. So, um, it was really cool that he was even willing to do that and, you know, put himself out there and you know, like really let people into what was going on. But, uh, those videos just ended up being what we, the best that we could come up with creatively to share what we're, we're talking about in our music. And so we ended up, we did three of them, one for each song. Um, we purposely didn't, we purposely chose to cover songs that were not singles and we purposely chose to release them before the album came out, um, which I guess from a marketing standpoint, maybe isn't the best, but the whole idea was that instead of people getting lost with reading the lyrics or listening to the song, we wanted to specifically share what it was about and only provide that. So that when those videos were released, the only information you had about those songs were the name of the song and 
what the information you got from the video of him talking mm. about it. Yeah. And, um, you know, immediately being able to check out the song from a marketing standpoint is probably the right thing, but we just, we didn't want that distraction. We wanted those to stand alone as their own entity, yeah. even if it was, you know, the songs, the album came out within a few days later, but when we first, the, we wanted all the attention to be just on what it was about and not anything else. Yeah, and I think that's a really great way to to really engage people, you know, for people to get a better understanding of what you guys are trying to say on this album. And it just gives so much more context because if, you know, for most the average listener, if they put this album on, you know, it's like, okay, another like heavy album, you know, you can kind of maybe catch yeah. bits and pieces. But yeah, that's a really cool way. I was watching the, the video for uh, Holy Order today and yeah, it was, I, I thought it was, I mean, it's super well done. I thought it was a really cool um kind of juxtaposition of you know this really heavy topic and just this like beautiful video of I'm getting, if that's the singer on his motorcycle you know whatever just kind of like this open space and so as i'm watching it it's like i kind of feel this like calm about it but also it's just like this jarring topic and so yeah really really well done and that's a really cool yeah just cool way to to share you know what you guys have been working on yeah no i those the if i'm honest the videos came out almost exactly the way that i in pictured them that that i would want for them to come out and never thought that we would get there and we just you know we put in the time of really trying to hash out how to accomplish it and then sean taking it from there like he just has like such a talent and good eye for it, getting the shots that he needs. And also just from an editing perspective, like, you know, he sent us over the first cuts and I think the only thing we changed was like the font of the titles mm. and that was it. Wow. So it's like, he, he, he just has such a talent for that kind of stuff. And we're really fortunate to be able to have that as a member of our band. Yeah. So it's like, we, like I said, we're just fortunate. We can keep a lot of things in house and really be able to, produce things creatively that are exactly what we want because we don't have to rely too much on anybody else to like, cause I mean, you, you, we could have this idea and then put it on somebody else's plate to try to put together who just, you know, doesn't see it the same or goes a different direction. And at that point, like, you know, the whole original idea is lost, but you know, we, Sean saw, he understood what it is that the Doyle, the singer and I were, trying to figure out and he just like when he sent it over i was just like this is exactly what i was hoping we could get to and i i'm just i'm stoked that we can do all that just you know in-house yeah yeah no that's awesome yeah well to wrap up here i know maybe this is hard to answer but as you guys have any hopes for the kind of the coming year concerning the band um like any local shows or anything else you guys are looking to to promote the band yeah, for sure. We're, uh, we're, we're currently putting together, uh, a CD release or a, like album release show locally here in Southern California. Um, just getting all that. We just got to finalize the date and, you know, figure it all out, but that'll be, I'm assuming that'll be probably next month. We want to immediately try to play. I mean, there's opportunities to do so. I mean, we're in talks with, some other people as far as jumping on some shows here and there, but as far as next year, we're going to do everything that we can like realistically, both right. myself and our singer both have kids. Um, you know, he owns his own business. He owns a merch printing company where 
He's a very busy man. Um, our singer just left to go to Stanford. So, I mean, it's like mm. everybody's pretty busy, but that being said, we're all very dedicated to like carving out windows of time to go do things that like make sense. And we're granted, you know, we're, we're not going to go do an eight week us tour. It's just not going to happen. Yeah, for sure. But we're going to be pursuing, you know, every opportunity we can, like we definitely want to regionally hit, you know, North, the Northeast, the Northwest, Midwest, because that's where half of our band is from, like hit the South. Like we want to regionally put things together that make sense. Um, we're already working on doing uh, like a week in Mexico next year. Um, we're we're going to, any opportunity that presents itself that we're able to make happen, like we're going to be all over it. Yeah. Awesome. Well, that's cool I'll have to have some things to look forward to and to get excited about. And it gives people some time to get acquainted with the album and the songs and and all that, so yeah, I'm I'm excited to see uh, what happens for you guys. But yeah, well, Aaron, I really appreciate you taking the time to share some so much good stuff. And uh, yeah, I'm excited for people to hear this and get some insight into to multiple projects and and just uh, yeah, all the years that you've put into music. So thanks so much for uh, hanging out tonight. Thanks, man. I really appreciate you having me on. It was uh, it was cool. Like I haven't really thought back through any of the ghosts inside like recording and just like some of that stuff like when you asked me to send i'm glad that you did it the way you did where you're like hey like just send over a handful of songs because it made me really have to go back and visit so like um it was cool just to like kind of go back through that it, it had been a while so that was awesome man. i appreciate having that.